Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And thank you for joining us here on AOA today, Agriculture of America. Great to be with you once again. We have a lot to discuss on today's show as we talk about agriculture and issues impacting rural America. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Coming up here on today's program in segment four at the end of the show today, we're going to have a conversation with Ann Schwagel, the vice president of Minnesota Farmers Union. They are looking at some stricter antitrust enforcement. They're teaming up with a lot of national leaders. We're going to talk about that issue and more with her coming up at the end of the show today. In segment three, we're going to talk about some of the volatility in this wheat market. We're going to get an update on pulse crops and how things are going from an end-user perspective. Jeff Van Pevenas, the president and CEO of Columbia Grain, will join us in segment three. In segment two today, we're going to have a conversation with Leah Wilkinson. She's the vice president of public policy and education for the American Feed Industry Association. We're going to talk Farm Bill and some other issues that AFIA is watching closely. That is coming up here on today's program. Want to kick things off, though, get an update on what is going on in the fertilizer markets. Joining me now, the Vice President of Fertilizer with Stonex, Josh Linville. Josh, good to talk with you again, my friend. You too. It's always uh, always fun to uh, kind of get an idea of what's going on with the fertilizer markets, Josh. And I know uh, recently we've seen India step in to purchase quite a large amount of urea. Uh, let's start there. What's going on in the urea market right now? Yeah, it's uh, it, a lot of people might sit there and say, oh, you know, buying a barge is a lot of tons. Buying a vessel is a lot of tons. Uh, India just got done locking up 1.8 million tons on a single purchase. So that's been kind of the big talk of the industry around the world. And the size itself, it's large. It's bigger than usual, but it's not a record. It's not anything that we haven't seen before. But of course, the big questions come out. Well, what does this mean going forward? And the natural inclination might be that, oh, yeah, prices are going to start shooting higher. That's a massive amount of tons. But when you look at the global urea market, it's I don't want to say it's a drop in the bucket, but it's not enormous. And what the one of the biggest takeaway points on this situation it's kind of leaning on values is that china played a very very big part uh a lot of the industry did not think china was going to play a part on that they thought they were going to have to focus on places like the arab gulf north african producers things like that all of a sudden of the 1.8 million china's rumored to have locked up about one to 1.1 million of that so china's back baby Mm-hmm. Yeah, China is uh, back. They've been buying soybeans too, so it seems like they're back out buying uh, buying products here around the world. Now we, we think about you mentioned, you know, will this cause prices to skyrocket? I know values uh, at the Gulf prices have been a bit all over the place, haven't they? Yes, they have, and I'm just going to use round numbers here just because it's easier. But uh, in the Gulf of Mexico, we've seen barge values. The lowest we saw this summer, they got down to about 250 bucks a ton. Uh, the rally that we saw got it about 200 bucks done higher to about 450. And now we're back down again, down to about 350. So we have seen, you know, 300 plus dollars worth of price movement. The overall is that we're up about hundred bucks from the absolute low. Now the low is obviously it was one or two barges. It wasn't a tremendous amount, not enough to set the whole market, but it's a great indication. But yeah, it's, it's one of those things. We had a lot of people come back and say, well, this wasn't supposed to happen. It's like, no, no, no. We said, a lot of the high price situation of the last couple of years should be behind us. A lot of that pain should be done. That doesn't mean volatility goes away. Volatility is still very real. 
Josh, how about uh, looking at UAN or nitrogen? Uh, what what are some updates uh, on that side of the fertilizer market? So UAN uh, summer fill programs came out. Uh, I will say it, it, prices can always be lower, right? I mean, they could be free. Yeah. And we're still going to talk about who didn't pay the truck freight to get to where it needs to go. But they came out very well priced from our perspective. It looked good versus urea. It looked good versus grains. We thought they did a, gr- a fairly decent job of rolling out those values. So they've been slowly stair-stepping that price higher. Uh, it's not been anything crazy, not anything like we've seen the last couple of years, but uh, just a steady, slow, methodical move higher. Anhydrous, if Mother Nature allows it, if we have a good fall application period across the Midwest, especially focusing on the West and the North, we could have one of our bigger fall on record. The prices came out very, very aggressive. They continue to look very good today, even with some of the price hikes that we've seen. So we've got big expectations for a fall anhydrous application. What about uh, looking at potash? It sounds like Summerfield programs uh, came out pretty solid as well. Things looking attractive there or not? Yeah, they the summer fill programs there as well. Uh, we've not seen a tremendous amount of price appreciation since that first rollout. So that's been a relatively steady market. But with we ended the last spring extremely empty on potash as well as phosphate, as well as urea. And mm-hmm. we thought, okay, they might actually try and push this price higher. Again, we were actually quite proud of the manufacturers. They they got the price down to where it would need to be to be a good enough value for demand to step in. That's exactly what happened. They came in, everybody looked at it and said, yeah, you know, that's pretty good. It's not incredibly low. I'm not buying three seasons worth of product, but it's good enough. I'm willing to take that risk. And so product moved, things are getting filled. We're getting ready for fall. Josh, thinking about getting ready for fall. That's where I was going to go with my next question. Are we hearing a lot of farmers starting to lock in some of those fall fertilizer needs? Or if we're not hearing that, should they be considering it right now? I think we're hearing a normal mix. And again, that's prevalent when you start to see the values get back down around decent levels. And historically speaking, they're a little bit elevated. But then again, we could say the same thing about grain values. So it does continue to work today. Uh, I do think we need to talk about fall, uh, especially when we start talking about the phosphate and the potash. Going back to that very low ending inventory out of last spring, that is a situation that's going to chase us all the way through to Christmas. And we've also got a situation where potash looks decently priced. Phosphate actually looks a little on the high side today. And we have seen this before. Uh, Actually, recently, when prices are high and there is a question of what that demand is going to look like, the supply chain starts to lock up. You see a lot less willingness to put product in place, a lot less willingness to take that risk. So I'm not saying we need to go talk to the retailer and say, oh my gosh, here's all my money. Just go get it locked up. But we need to have conversations. We need to be talking to them and saying, hey, here's what I'm thinking about for the fall. Are you are you going to be okay from a supply side? What's mm-hmm. our situation? Uh, what's our, what do you think is kind of our dead or our drop dead date on when we need to get stuff locked in to guarantee it's going to be there? Cause the conversation I had with my dad is that, listen, I can see a very real situation where spring is going to be a cheaper price in the fall. And I was like, but I don't know if it's going to be a tremendously lower price. And he's like, well, from my perspective, it's better to get it on the fall, even if it's a little bit higher price, everybody's got to make that own decision. It's going to be a little yeah. tough. It's a little on the high side, but go have that conversation with the retail sector. Well, especially, uh, too, if you have forward contracted any sort of grain in your marketing plan, you know, at 24 or if you've locked in some other input costs, you know, that's something to think about as well. If you've been penciling all this out and making it work, then, you know, maybe maybe it is time to do something there before before prices change, Josh. Absolutely. And that's the thing, you know, we preach the heck out of the whole, you know, buy the fertilizer, sell the grain, buy the diesel, sell the grain, lock in that value. And frankly, 
you know, if you do that, if you take that approach and you buy your fertilizer, you sell some grain, it's profitable. And that ends up being the worst decision that you make for your 24 crop. You call me and you yell at me all day because I'll sit there and take that beating with a smile on my face. That means you just had a great year. Josh, real quick, any other uh, issues you're watching in the fertilizer market? A little bit of the logistics that coming up here in the fall. Um, sure. Like I said, some of these tighter inventories could be a situation that chases us for a little bit. I, I am nervous. I'm not a grain guy. Um, actually, obviously, Arlen Suderman has forgotten more than anything. <laughs> but, you know, it's still one of those things. A lot of the models are still pointing to lower values. That's the biggest thing. All right. Well, we will definitely stay close with you on the issues going on in the fertilizer market. Vice President of Fertilizer with StoneX, Josh Linville. Thanks for joining us today on AOA. We appreciate it. Talk to you soon. All right. Coming up next, Leah Wilkinson with AFIA here on AOA. Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the latest episode of the Monthly Grind with our friends at the National Corn Growers Association. We'll discuss the latest topics surrounding the corn industry, the relationships between corn and other parts of the agricultural supply chain, the newest initiatives and partnerships from NCGA's Market Development Action Team, and much more. That's the first Wednesday of every month for the Monthly Grind on AOA. It's a show you don't want to miss. I've been farming my whole life. I don't need somebody to come out here and state the obvious. I don't need anybody to explain my farm to me. My local co-op works with CHS, and they know what I need when I need it. A global network of support. Local expertise. And valuable market options. We need a co-op that's here for us. So we can own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. At Bayer, we think farmers have made enough trade-offs. That's why we created VT4 Pro with RNAi technology, so you don't have to choose between yield potential or our widest spectrum of insect protection. You get both. And you're even protected against notorious pests like corn earworm and corn rootworm. Visit vt4pro.com to trade up without the trade-offs. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2023 Bayer Group, always reserved. Are you heading to the Farm Progress Show in Decatur? Stop by the Trelleborg booth on 10th Street and see Mike Pearson and me, Jesse Allen, broadcasting live. Learn about the HF1000 and features that minimize soil compaction. We will be broadcasting live from Trelleborg booth 1062 from 9 to 10 a.m. on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday from the Farm Progress Show. That's Trelleborg booth 1062 from 9 to 10 a.m. We'll see you in Decatur. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. We, 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 we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. 
Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And joining us now here on AOA, pleased to have with us the Vice President of Public Policy and Education for the American Feed Industry Association, Leah Wilkinson, is with us. Leah, great to have you with us here on AOA today. How are you? It's great to be here, Jesse. Thanks for having the feed industry here to talk to uh, everybody listening. Well, we appreciate the time and thank you again for uh, joining us today. And a, a lot of things uh, that I want to discuss with you here on the show. And you know, I want to start with policy and trade. I think that's one of the big areas we should focus on. And uh, obviously, we got a farm bill discussions going on right now. I know AFIA has endorsed the Innovative Feed Act as well that is in Congress. So uh, get us up to speed. What are some of the policy issues that you guys are really keeping an eye on right now, Leah? Yeah, it's um, an important time in Washington, D.C. for agriculture. And there's a lot going on, as you just mentioned. So from um, the American feed industry perspective, we've really focused in on probably three main policy areas this year. Uh, number one, we've been working for many years to make sure that our manufacturers have the ability to have access to new technologies, new ingredients to bring those to market for our livestock producers and also for our companion animals. And so we work with the Food and Drug Administration who regulates our products to make sure those review systems work in a predictable manner. They're efficient, um, they're economical, right? So we can bring those technologies to market. And, and one area where we were running into problems is uh, with some of those innovations around food safety or production and the environment, they wanted to regulate those products as animal drugs. And so we had been asking and working with FDA and they determined they needed some legislative authority. They needed Congress to tell them that they could regulate these products as feed ingredients. So that's the genesis of uh, the Innovative Feed Act that was introduced back in June by Senator Marshall from Kansas and mm -hmm. Senator Baldwin from Wisconsin as the two main co-sponsors. And that bill would give FDA that authority to regulate those products that um, don't necessarily provide taste, nutrition, or aroma that you think about as a traditional feed ingredient, um, but they act within the digestive tract of the animal. They are a feed ingredient. They just you know, work on production and making the animals more um, efficient or uh, changing the microbiome of the animal, that inner gut, um, so that they're healthier and then can have food safety and environmental claims. So we're really supportive of that effort and are urging um, Congress to take it up. It's in the Senate uh, version of the Animal Drug User Fee Act uh, that passed through the Senate Health, Education, Labor and Pensions Committee. And um, the Senate hasn't taken full action on that bill yet, but we're hoping that they will soon. Is that something, do you think it could get tied up with the farm bill potentially and all the discussions that are going on there? I, I don't know if that's something that could happen. What, what are you hearing, Leah? So different committees of jurisdiction yeah. um, between agriculture and you've got FDA more under the health um, committee and then energy and commerce over on the house side. So there's that jurisdictional issue sure. there, but the topic remains very relevant for agriculture and something definitely the agriculture committees have weighed in on 
um, as we've talked over the years about our ability to have access to those ingredients and get them through the review processes quicker and smoother. Mm-hmm. It does tie into the farm bill a little bit. Um, we have a feed management program standard at the Natural Resources Conservation Service at USDA. Um, but that program hasn't been used at least going back to 2014, as long as the public data is available. Um, and that's an opportunity for livestock producers to be able to use animal nutrition as a role of conservation, um, right? Improving animal nutrition improves production, um, less outputs. Uh, and we want to make sure that that standard is available to producers and mm-hmm. also that it's updated. So when we get some of these new ingredients, that it can be incorporated into that standard. So we're um, watching and working with USDA to get that standard up and going, that they've got resources, um, education, and the ability to get that out to our livestock producers. Fantastic. Leah, I know we were chatting a little bit before we went on the air. I know some new research uh, out here this summer from AFIA, just showing how vital um, animal food manufacturers are to the U.S. economy. Is that something you can talk to us about a little bit? I know that's another piece you guys have been looking at, at, at and working on a lot here this summer. Yeah, and and as people drive through the countryside, you see that grain elevator or a feed mill, and you you know, you know that they make feed, but you really probably don't think about how that has an impact on the broader agriculture industry or your local economy. Um, so we tried to help quantify that. Uh, we've got 5,650 feed and pet food manufacturing facilities around the United States. Um, so that footprint um, is across all of our states and we have uh, about $267 billion worth of sales, 80,000 direct employee employees at those facilities um, and by those companies. Um, that, you know, we help value add across agriculture from the commodities that we purchase, our reach into rail and trucking, um, and, you know, if you think rendering and all of those different products. So um, our industry is definitely a main component of agriculture, and we're happy to be part of that chain to be able to to bring nutritious, um, safe, and high-quality products to both our livestock, poultry, aquaculture, and to our companion animals in the United States. We're talking today with Leah Wilkinson with the American Feed Industry Association. Leah, any other policy items or just anything else on your mind in general that AFIA is, is watching here as we wrap up the summer months and head towards the fall here? So trade is another item that's very important to um, the animal feed industry. So we last year in 2022, we had $7.5 billion worth of exports, whether it be feed, feed ingredients or pet food. So we need to um, be able to maintain those markets and grow new markets. Um, But it's also important for us to be able to have access to the imports that we need. And I think um, a lot of times people forget that we don't manufacture um, a lot of ingredients here in the United States, and we're dependent upon some countries for that. So we need to make sure that we have access. And we're looking at that to make sure um, that we have resiliency in our industry. I think COVID uh, kind of woke us all up to that. And Mm -hmm. we're just trying to make sure that that continues. 
Um, the Farm Bill has programs for market access program and foreign market development. That's through the USDA and uh, AFIA is a cooperator through those programs. Um, so that helps us expand our reach and help develop new markets for U.S.-based feed and feed ingredients. Um, so we're advocating for more dollars there because that will help raise the bar and raise all of agriculture up um, if all of us can have more access to those, those foreign markets. Um, so we're working on that and just making sure that the administration and Congress continue to realize that trade is so important and vital for agriculture. Fantastic. Well, we should mention as well, real quick before we run out of time, that AFIA uh, has the application phase open for the Commercial Dry Feed Facility of the Year. Uh, this is interesting stuff here, and I know folks can learn more on the AFIA website, can't they, Leah? Yes. So we run a program where we want to recognize the best feed mills um, in the United States for everything they do to provide that safe, nutritious um, high quality and then sustainable products as well. And so we've got different categories of our feed facility of the year program. Uh, right now we've got the commercial dry feed facility of the year application process open as well as our integrator uh, feed mill operations. Um, and so it, it just gives the feed mill a chance to uh, document how they are doing in certain measures and then compete against their peers. And so mm -hmm. uh, we encourage everyone to look at that and then help us celebrate the winners um, as we announce those throughout the year. Well, details and more info can be found online, AFIA.org. And with that, Vice President of Public Policy and Education for the American Feed Industry Association, Leah Wilkinson, thanks so much for joining us here on AOA today. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And again, you can learn more about uh, issues that are important to the American Feed Industry Association and much more online, AFIA.org. Again, that is AFIA.org. Well, of course, we've been watching volatile markets here for the last, uh, well, really the last year plus ever since the Russia-Ukraine war started. It's really had an impact on the wheat market especially. Well, we're going to get some updates on just some of the volatility in the wheat market. We're going to look at things from an end user perspective. We'll also get some updates on pulse crops, how things are going across much of the Northern Plains, Pacific Northwest. Jeff Van Pevenaj, the president and CEO of Columbia Grain International, will join us next as we're back with more here on Agriculture of America, AOA, right after this. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Get on board. The water is open. It's time to go boating and fishing and leave stress in our wake. Feel the wind as we ride and a fish on the line. Reel in our first catch and feel the sun at our backs. It's get out on the water season. It's time to get on board. Find out where to get on board near you. Visit Take Me Fishing and Discover Boating to learn more. 
and please recreate responsibly. Get on board. You're listening to AOA for the American Egg Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. Well, the grain and oil seeds pushed higher overnight. Soybeans and Chicago wheat are leading the charge higher there. There were reports that Ukraine sought retaliation for this week's Russian strike on its port facilities. Russia reports that a downed Ukrainian drone hit a building in Moscow. Now, there are also unconfirmed reports of an oil depot fire at Russia's Novo port, which also handles more than half of its wheat exports. Headlines will no doubt continue through the weekend, presenting risk for grain traders. Now, the Midwest forecast remains hot and dry for much of the rest of the month, with industry representatives scheduled to tour Midwest corn and soybean fields next week to get a good look at crops. Now, they will post a myriad of pictures on X, formerly Twitter, and other social media that will impact market sentiment. Many of those pictures will show crop damage, but the tour should better define the scope of that damage. Hurricane Hillary, though, is on track to bring some rain to Idaho, Montana, and the western Canadian prairies, possibly by Sunday. China's economy continues to spiral with negative news undermining consumer confidence. Chinese developer Evergrande Group filed for U.S. bankruptcy protection in New York as part of one of the world's biggest debt restructurings, further contributing to mounting anxiety over China's worsening property crisis and its resulting aftershocks for China's weakened economy. Now, a decline in the property sector there directly hits consumer spending in China as they begin to worry about their own financial health. Now, this also comes at a time when authorities are trying to encourage domestic consumer spending to offset lost export demand from Europe and from the United States. Here in the U.S., the market currently gives less than 10% odds of another Federal Reserve rate hike in its September meeting, although those odds grow to roughly 37% by the September meeting, with perceptions of big rate cuts next year starting to scale back, while crude oil prices are sinking lower. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And joining us now here on the program, pleased to have him back with us. It's been a little while since we've had a chance to catch up. He is the CEO of Columbia Grain International. Jeff Van Pevenage is with us here today. Jeff, it's good to talk to you again. I hope you're doing well. I am, Jesse. Thanks for having me on. It's great to be here. Well, uh, a lot for us to discuss, whether we're talking wheat or we're talking pulse crops, we're talking demand, a a lot of uh, issues I want to talk with you about here today. I I think just for starters, Jeff, you you know, these markets have been 
really volatile as of late. Ever since uh, Russia came and backed out of the Ukraine grain deal, it feels like these markets have, have been volatile once again, especially on the wheat side. You think about wheat as a global traded commodity, obviously. It, it's just made for a, a pretty volatile situation, hasn't it, Jeff? Yes. If you look at the past year, year and a half, and it's, this isn't the first time that Russia has uh, threatened or pulled out of the the grain deal that is allowing grain to move uh, through the Black Sea channels. But every time they, they kind of make a comment about it, it seems like an up 40 day. And two days later, it's a down 40 day um, as people kind of discern what is actually happening. So it creates a ton of volatility in the market that tends to affect basis as well, because the U.S. Uh, wheat is really kind of flat priced around the world and has to stay competitive. So that creates problems on the basis side of things too, but it, it's really about the volatility and, you know, hopefully farmers are paying attention to that so they can catch those little runs up at least to try to do, you know, hedge to arrive contracts on futures fixes or something to that degree to try to help, you know, grab a little better price here and there. I don't expect the volatility mm -hmm. to stop either. So. Well, and to your point as well, you know, affecting basis levels and more, it's not only something that I think affects farmers, it's it affects end users as well with all the volatility and the wild swings. It's it's tough to keep up with, isn't it, Jeff? It, it really is. And, and even just kind of on our own local front, when you look at U.S. grain, you know, you've got crop problems that happen throughout the Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas area. That means, you know, there's going to be different flows of grain within the United States as flour mills try to cover their needs. And then maybe they're used to getting, you know, Kansas hard wheat, but the uh, proteins and test weights aren't what they want. So they've got to supplement with a little bit of northern tier, particularly the California mills. So you've got a lot of different things happening uh, just within the United States that creates basis changes all over the place. So as a trader, you've really got to watch it. You know, you've also got a lot of volatility going on in the freight market right now, as most of most uh, grain now is moving via either destination efficiency trains known as DEETs within the United States to flour mills or your shuttle systems. And we've seen that market uh, vacillate 10 to 15 cents a bushel uh, in in the trading of the open market freight for that in mm -hmm. time when we really wouldn't expect it because the export market right now is really dead in the northern tier of the United States. There's actually eight terminals out here between Seattle and Portland for exporting. Four of those terminals are shut down, have been shut down for the past several months because we just don't have that big a flow of grain moving out of the United States PNW at this point in time. And I'm glad you brought that up because that's where I wanted to go next. I mean, demand has just been ugly there's no really there's no other way to put it it feels like here jeff it's been an issue throughout this marketing year and this last marketing year and i i mean you know you just mentioned ports uh closed down facilities closed down there in the pnw i mean what's it going to take to improve our demand what do you think is it china stepping back in is it a black swan event uh, i mean what's your thoughts surrounding this whole demand picture jeff well china has stepped in they're buying South American and yeah. you've got huge soybean corn crops coming out of Brazil. You know, if, if they have continued good weather, which we've got a, a change in the weather with into the El Nino pattern, we'll see what that does for South America, but they continue to grow larger and larger crops in South America. 
And those markets are flowing in, filling up the Chinese demand, and that's kept the Chinese kind of at bay from the U.S. U.S. prices have been high versus uh, versus South America. So it's been a really slow year, kind of as a, for instance, we would typically have uh, our October program probably 75% filled by May for soybean exports. We're not filled yet today for October soybean exports. We still have a ways to go. We still have a terminal that's closed and we're not planning on opening it in October. So we have a lot of capacity out here that we normally would have, have operating in October that's going to be slow to go this year because the exports just aren't there. That's a great perspective and something to really keep in mind is just uh, we got to watch this demand picture and see if it will pick up here. Uh, Jeff, you know, another thing too thinking about is production overall. What's that going to look like here in the U.S.? Maybe some early thoughts on on spring wheat harvest, P&W into the northern plains. What are you seeing and hearing from producers, Jeff? You know, and we've got a bigger crop coming in Montana. It suffered two years of drought in Montana. Expect to see another 20 to 25 million bushels of production within Montana. Looks to me the early results have been good protein, good test weight, so good quality coming in there. Um, North Dakota, you would expect lower lower production primarily due to lower acreage there, late seeded as well. The U.S. spring wheat crop should be lower overall that's okay. The demand picture is also lower mm-hmm. overall, particularly off the West Coast. We've actually been losing a fair amount of export business to Canada. And that's kind of based upon the, the capacity that's been built for export in Canada. They've uh, added tremendous capacity up there. Everybody is being really, really competitive to sell grain as well. The railroads tend to have better rates into the, PN, in, into the Vancouver markets versus the uh, railroads into the PNW market. So they're far more competitive and they're picking up business in the Philippines or picking up business in Vietnam, picking up business into Japan, even uh, taking away some of the U.S. wheat sales that have, have happened over the years. Very interesting perspective, something that uh, yeah, I wasn't necessarily aware of there. So another another competitor on the stage here w- with Canada. Jeff, how about other crops Pulse crops, peas, lentils, uh, any thoughts with how things are, are looking on, on that side of the equation? Really kind of getting into them, the pea harvest, I would say, is probably in the 65 70% done at this point in time. Yields look good. Again, Montana, uh, western North Dakota being the largest areas of production in the United States have had good crops there. Uh, Washington, Idaho also. Washington is a little more focused towards chickpeas, so we're still two to three weeks away from really seeing chickpea harvest there. Early, just kind of hand shelling in that. Looks like the quality is good. Probably a little bit of concern because Montana's been getting rain here and and lentils are ready to harvest right now. We kind of continue to get these uh, rain events that are happening there. Washington's been in a rain event for about the last week. So could be a little bit of quality issues. We'll see here probably over the next week. Yields in general have been good in the uh, in the pulse crop world. Early quality looks really good as well. A little bit of uh, bug damage. Montana's had uh, grasshopper issues for the last mm-hmm. two to three years, and they kind of continue to chip away and bite away at product in that. So you have to be a little bit careful about that. But in general, I think we're happy. 
a lot of it's going to be determined on Canada because their crops are not looking as good. So I think in general, you look at Lendl markets, they're firm, they're firm worldwide, um, at least for green lentils, I should say. And then uh, and pea markets are going to be a little lower than last year. You're going to see stronger demand for green peas as we reduce the production of those worldwide. Yellow peas uh, seem to have maybe found a bottom at this point in time. So pretty happy with where U.S. pulses are today. Well, Jeff, as well, I should ask on the pulse crop side, any impacts from, say, the Russia-Ukraine war or other issues around the world? Is anything like that impacting the, the pulse markets at all? Well, they're definitely impacting in the form that Russia and China have gotten much closer together. Over the course of the last four years, China has been the largest importer of peas in the world. And you're going to see a lot more Russian peas move into that market that will reduce the amount of Canadian peas that are getting exported. India is really not importing peas any longer. So that, you know, the Canadian grower is going to be looking for a home where to go with his peas. And that's probably naturally going to be more towards the U.S. Well, Jeff, great thoughts as always. Anything final you want to share with us? Anything exciting going on at Columbia Grain you want to mention? Uh, any final thoughts for us here today? Uh, I think the most exciting thing that we're, we've been working on is the uh, we started a new business called Enrich Foods, and that's where we're moving our products towards the CPG world. We bought a company called Great River Organics and Milling down in Wisconsin, and we're increasing the amount of small pack business that we do as well as specialty milling. And in September and October, we'll be launching a whole new line of products that will be out there for pulse ingredients, um, organic flour ingredients and that. And you'll see us uh, in the in the grocery store, you'll see us on Amazon, you'll see us on e-commerce. And we're really looking forward to the new supply chains that that brings for our customers that are growing these types of products. Fantastic thoughts. And we will look forward to catching up with you again in the future. With that, the CEO of Columbia Grain International, Jeff Van Pevenage. Thanks for joining us today, Jeff. It's great to talk with you again, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Jesse. Always good to be here. All right. Once again, Jeff Van Pevenage, president and CEO of Columbia Grain, joining us here today on AOA. All right. Coming up here before we wrap up today's program, we're going to have a conversation with Minnesota Farmers Union Vice President Ann Schwagel as MFU is joining with national leaders to call for stricter antitrust enforcement. What exactly are they calling for? We're going to learn more about that and other issues that are uh, impacting and important to the Minnesota Farmers Union right now. We'll have that conversation next as we're back with more here on AOA right after the break. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end, but good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating, your kidneys could keep filtering, and your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. 
And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad. Your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey. Why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Are you heading to the Farm Progress Show in Decatur? Stop by the Trelleborg booth on 10th Street and see Mike Pearson and me, Jesse Allen, broadcasting live. Learn about the HF1000 and features that minimize soil compaction. We will be broadcasting live from Trelleborg booth 1062 from 9 to 10 a.m. on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday from the Farm Progress Show. That's Trelleborg booth 1062 from 9 to 10 a.m. We'll see you in Decatur. Every Tuesday, we're sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS, where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. Tune in every Tuesday for Around the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. The archaeological record suggests that wheat was first cultivated in the regions of the Fertile Crescent, also known as the Cradle of Civilization, around 9600 BC. The Roman goddess Ceres, who was deemed protector of the grain, gave grains their common name today, cereal. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three-quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. The first bagel rolled into the world in 1683 when a baker from Vienna, Austria, was thankful to the King of Poland for saving Austria from Turkish invaders, the baker reshaped the local bread so that it resembled the king's stirrup. The new bread was called bugel, derived from the German word for stirrup. Ancient traditional tortillas were made from ground corn by Mexican natives as long as 2,000 years ago. However, flour tortillas only started to become popular in the 19th century. More types of foods are made with wheat than with any other cereal grain. These farm facts brought to you by the American Egg Network. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. 
Call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416. Information America's farmers and ranchers need. AOA. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA. Joining us now, pleased to have with us the Vice President for Minnesota Farmers Union, Ann Schwagel is with us today. And great to have you on AOA. I hope you're doing well. Jesse, thank you for having me. This is such a great opportunity to be here and talk to folks well, thanks for the time, Ann. Let's jump in here and uh, have a conversation. I saw a press release come out a few days ago from Minnesota Farmers Union talking about joining up with national leadership to look at stricter antitrust enforcement. Can you just get us up to speed? What is MFU looking at here in teaming up with national leadership? I know this has been uh, an issue for some folks for quite some time. Yeah, you know, Minnesota Farmers Union, we are a grassroots membership organization that's been around since the turn of the last century. And when we organized in 1918 in Minnesota, one of the things, you know, my predecessors, the, the farmers at the time were organizing themselves around, was fighting corporate monopolies that controlled their access to markets by the railroads. And it's something that we continue to identify as our members continue to identify as a priority for us as an organization is to kind of fight um, corporate control of our markets and corporate control of our access to inputs and to buyers, because we're seeing, you know, this trend in our food and agriculture space over the last, you know, several decades of lots of mega merger, mergers and acquisitions between companies um, that are limiting the number of uh, buyers and sellers in mm -hmm. agriculture and makes it tough for family farmers to survive on the landscape. Well, and I think about this and, you you know, some of those mega mergers, uh, I, I, we hear a lot about it, I think, mainly in the meatpacking industry, but it's not just yeah, the meatpacking industry. It's, it's with the seed and technology industry. It's with dealerships, mm -hmm. you know, et cetera. It's not just confined to one area of agriculture, is it, Ann? No, you know, we've got the big four in meatpacking, and that's really pretty easy to point to. And, and, and not only is it big four in beef, and the cattle markets, two of those are foreign-owned companies, right? And and that also gives you a little bit of hesitancy about our control of our food in the United States. And so, you know, it's it touches so many different things, but not just in meatpacking, you know, there are fewer and fewer options for your to buy your seed from. And I'm a grain farmer. And, and I know that there are several different brands, but they're they're all controlled by the same company, right? And there are fewer and fewer markets to sell my the grain into when it's uh, when I harvest it in the fall. Yeah, that's very, very true. And it's something that we definitely have to keep our eyes on. And as we move forward, what are some things that uh, are trying to be done? What What is some of the work that we can look at? How can folks you know, stay involved in this conversation? <laughs> what is Minnesota Farmers Union doing to try and help with some of this antitrust enforcement and more? Yeah, so we've been working with partners at groups at like the American Economic Liberties Project to submit public comments to the FTC and the Department of Justice on their updated merger guidelines. 
And something that I think farmers need to do a little bit more of is standing up and telling stories about how uh, concentrated markets harm family farmers like themselves, uh, that there's a lack of transparency and that they need access to protect fair, open and competitive markets um, all across the food and ag space. Well, and I know as well, on top of uh, looking at antitrust issues, of course, we have other issues going on in agriculture. Farm Bill, of course, <laughs> is, uh, is a, a big topic of discussion across rural America right now. Uh, what are some Absolutely. things that you're looking at there with the Farm Bill? What's Minnesota Farmers Union uh, stance on what's going on with the Farm Bill? I'd have to think crop insurance may be one of the big things. I know we hear that a lot from folks throughout rural America right now. Huge. Yeah, that's a huge topic for us. You know, we want to protect a strong farm safety net for farmers so that, you know, we know that as we're dealing with more weather events all across the country, you know, all of Minnesota right now is in a drought period. We need to have a really strong safety net that protects farmers. Um, And so that's a that's obviously a huge part of the farm bill. And also, voluntary conservation practices and making sure those are funded um, so that farmers who want to uh, employ those kinds of conservation practices through their NRC, local NRCS can access those programs. Um, and so, you know, not only is it important to get the farm bill done, but it's really important, more important to us to get it done right. Um, so this is, you know, big opportunity coming up here in September. National Farmers Union, uh, which we're a member of, is hosting their annual fly-in in mid-September, which is an opportunity for farmers to talk directly to members of Congress about, you know, the issues that are facing them, whether it's around competition or resiliency in our food system. And then, you know, participants in our fly-in will get to also receive briefings from congressional leaders. uh, And really, we're focusing hard this year on the farm bill. Well, we are talking with Ann Schwegel, the vice president of the Minnesota Farmers Union. And uh, as well, before we uh, run out of time here today, you know, how are uh, how are crop conditions in your neck of the woods there in Minnesota? How are things uh, when you talk to other farmers across the state uh, as we uh, get closer and closer to the finish line here for the 23 crop year? We just got an inch of rain, which was blessings. <laughs> That's really exciting to help, you know, get what potential is out there across finish line and filled out, especially in our corn and soybeans, and then have the ground ready to go for cover cropping. I think following that on my farm, I farm in uh, Big Stone County in Minnesota. So in West Central Minnesota, along the border with South Dakota, as I drive around and see, you know, look at fields across the state on my travels for Farmers Union, it's really highly variable. Some stuff looks like some of its best crop, especially kind of around the Fargo-Moorhead area, but then you go east of there and north of there, things get kind of hairy again, especially in kind of central Minnesota. It's looking rough, and so, you know, it's important to have, like I said, that strong safety net in place to protect farmers in the event of drought conditions like this year we're experiencing. Very, very true. I know folks can stay up to date with what's going on with the Minnesota Farmers Union online, mfu.org. With that, Vice President of the Minnesota Farmers Union, Ann Schwegel, thanks for joining us here today on AOA. We'll have to uh, catch up with you again soon. Thanks, Jesse. It's good to be here.
All right, we're out of time here for AOA Agriculture of America today. Coming up on the next episode, we'll talk markets with Dara Newsom for Bar Chart and Weather with John Baranek from DTN. Have a great rest of your day. I'm Jesse Allen. Thanks for listening to AOA. Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home and you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? Then we have good news for you. Foreclosure Protection Services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect that may save your home. Call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.